Thank you for joining us for our current sermon series at City Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you would choose to grow in your faith with us. And if there's anything we can do for you, we would love to hear from you through our website or social media accounts. We really do believe that God is changing lives through His Word, and so we are praying that you'd be encouraged and challenged by this week's message. Well, this morning we're going to be back in our series that we started last week in the book of 2 Peter. So take your Bibles with me and uh, let's go to the book of 2 Peter together. Uh, it's in, found in the New Testament, in case you're wondering where it is, uh, kind of near the back part of the New Testament. Uh, but it's there that we began a journey together last week. And uh, last Sunday we, we started and really we laid a foundation uh, for the messages that are to come with Peter's very clear teaching that your salvation, so if you're saved today, say Amen. Amen. All right, that's good. So he began by saying that your salvation, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your salvation, your knowledge of God, as it's described here in this passage, is everything that you need to walk faithfully for the Lord in this life. Everything that you need to face life's difficulties, life's trials, life's hardships, uh, and even the good aspects of life, all that you need is Jesus, and all that you need to live this life is found in your salvation. I want to bring your attention back to verse 3 and 4 where he spoke, uh, and he said, according as his divine power, that is the divine power of God. So according as his divine power hath given unto us, here's that phrase, all things that pertain to life and to godliness. So what he's saying is that your salvation, your knowledge of God gives to you a divine power and that power is everything you need for life and godliness and it's found through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Verse 4 says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So what we understand about this is that there is no need for anything except your salvation. Okay, it's Jesus plus nothing. It is all that you need. There's no need for uh, some kind of second blessing, no like mysterious climate of faith, no miraculous circumstances required because in Christ everything that you need is given to you through that divine power and of course we know it leads to a great hope of a divine nature that's to come in heaven and how much of a blessing is that I've been I've been pondering that all week the blessing that is found in my salvation the fact that Jesus died on the cross for my sins he provided for me eternal life and as well I have received the power all that is necessary to face this life this is a encouraging encouraging thing it's something over this Thanksgiving weekend that we should of course be giving a lot of thanks for and it is a blessing but as we continue the letter here that Peter has written we have to remember that he is writing to people that have suffered a lot for their faith. These are people that have been through persecution like you and I will never, possibly never experience. And so what he's doing is he's encouraging them that uh, in your salvation is everything you need, but he also begins to give them some building blocks, as we're going to look at today, a pathway or painting a picture of where your faith can take you. 
Because we have to remember that, yes, our salvation is everything that we need, uh, but is the foundation for spiritual growth. It is, it is a foundation for which we can develop and grow and become more like Christ. And so that's what Peter's going to do as we continue the study. He's going to give us some specifics that we can internalize, some specifics that we can uh, implement into our faith that can grow, help it to grow in our knowledge and in our impact within this world. Now, if you're like me, and I hope you're not like me in a lot of ways. I hope you're like me in this way. I hope that you're like me in the fact that I want to know how my faith can grow. That kind of rhymes there. We should write a song about that. Somebody, right? I want to know how my faith can grow. I want to have specifics. Because often, you know, we look at this life and, and we wonder, well, how can I grow in my faith? Some of you have asked me that before. Pastor, I want to grow in my faith. How do I do that? Well, Peter gives us some real practical aspects here that can help us get in a direction of measurable growth. Because where there is life, there must be growth. And we have new life in Christ. And so we are, uh, um, really, Scripture commands us to grow in our faith. So what we're going to see today as we continue our study is Peter is going to give us a seven-step progression of spiritual growth. Don't you like that? Seven steps. Some of you are like, I'm only going to remember one. That's okay. This is a pathway for you to return to and look at. But he's going to give us a seven-step progression of growth. He's also going to show what the end product would look like. And he's also going to give us the reward of our faith and remind us about the reward of our faith. So let's get into our study this, this morning. And we're going to jump in at verse number five. So Peter says, and besides this. So what is this besides? Well, it's what he's already talked about. He's talked about how the knowledge of God is all that you need. So besides this, though, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. This is a list that Peter is giving to us, and it's predicated upon the idea that these are areas of our faith that we should give diligence to. Notice how he says there, besides this, so on top of this, we must give diligence. Well, what does that word diligence mean? The word diligence here means haste. It means speed. It means attention. So what he's trying to say here is that besides the knowledge of God that has led to salvation, that is all that you need, you also need to pay attention to, you need to um, make it a, a, you need to get there quickly, I guess is the way you could put it. You need to very quickly begin to develop these areas of your Christian life. Uh, The initial faith, of course, is foundational to what God intends to build upon us a complete and a, a complete individual with a complete calling. And so this is what Peter's talking about here. He says, listen, your, fa- your salvation is foundational, but God wants to build something even better on top of that, okay? It's a, it's a complete person, a person that is in the image of Christ. And so that's where we come to our first thought this morning, which is the progress of faith. So he says, besides all of this, we need to give diligence to this. And we see this progress. Look back at the verse again. I want you to notice where he says, you then need to add to your faith. Now, let's be clear, very clear at the very outset this morning These are not character traits that must be added because your faith cannot stand on its own. Okay, don't misunderstand that. Your faith stands on on its own, certainly. But the term here that we have translated add for us gives us the meaning of supplying or of strengthening or of supplementing. Supplementing is a great word that would describe what he's talking about here. Now, I remember as a, uh, as a young teenager, when my older brother, who's five years older than me, I remember when he discovered working out. 
Now, if you've had anybody in your life that discovered all of a sudden, uh, you know, lifting weights and working out, you know what I'm talking about here. Because I remember as a young teenager, uh, all of a sudden, my brother, that's all he cared about. You know, he's at the gym sometimes twice a day, and he would also run to the gym and run back. You know, I mean, he was just all in. I don't know what I don't know what girl he liked or whatever happened in his life that uh, changed this, but all of a sudden, I mean, he is into working out. And I'll never forget one day when I came upstairs and I, I come into the kitchen and there's my brother and he's sitting there and there's an enormous container sitting on our countertop. And it's, I mean, it's enormous. It's huge. Like you can put your whole arm in there, right? And he's got this huge scoop and he's scooping out massive scoops of some powder and he's putting it into like a container at the same time, pouring some of it into his mouth. And, and then adding water to it, and it's this funny-looking container, and he's just shaking it, and he's drinking it. And that changed my brother's life. Apparently, well, what was he doing? Well, he discovered the power of, of protein shakes. And I don't know what else was in there, but, I mean, he got some. Anyway, okay. He's, <laughs> I'm hoping it was just protein and, uh, and uh, maybe a little creatine. I don't know. But he, he discovered this, this whole thing, right? And so he, he, it, from that point on, I don't think I ever saw him for, like, a while without that protein shake. You know, he'd be drinking it at mealtime. He'd be on his way to the gym. He'd drink one on his way to the gym. He'd drink them post-workout, pre- and post-workout. And uh, he was just all into this stuff. You say, why is that? Did he not have any muscles? No, he had a lot of muscles. He proved it to me a lot, even before he started working out. He showed me how strong he was and how dominant he was as my older brother. Oh, was it that he couldn't go to work and do his job? I'm like, no, he could do that. He could do all of those things. He had muscles. He had everything he needed to live life. But if he wanted to see those extra gains, right? If he wanted to see that uh, definition and that, that, I guess, extra growth, uh, as we call or as he, he would call it, those big-time gains, right? He wanted some big-time gains in his muscles, then he was going to have to supplement, and he started supplementing in that way. Those of you that are into exercise or even proper health, really, you understand that at some point, if you're going to reach the peak of physical fitness, you're going to have to do some supplementation at some point, either supplement your diet or, or take supplements to help you achieve your goals. Now, this is the idea that Peter is given to us. What he's trying to say is that we want to see our knowledge of God increase and if we're going to see the results, those gains that we really desire in our walk with God, if we're going to see that growth, then there must be something that is supplemented, that strengthens. And the word add uh, or, or developed or, or put upon is the idea of, of building upon and expounding and growing your faith. Now, just like the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians chapter 5, these qualities that Peter's going to talk about are things that develop and grow out of a vital and growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to understand, it's not enough for you and I to, you know, some people say this, let go and let God. You ever heard that before? I'm just going to let go and let God, okay? Uh, and it's the idea of just like, well, whatever happens, happens. No, th this is more than that. When we're given things like the fruit of the Spirit, like this list here that Peter gives us, these are th things that we're to actively pursue, that we ourselves are able to put some effort into to pursue, to see them develop within our life. And that's why Peter wrote here, literally what Peter's saying is make every effort to bring alongside of your faith. Make every effort to supplement and to strengthen your faith. It involves, of course, God the Father and his child working together in these things. Now, we're going to talk about it in a few moments here, about the fact that God does play a huge role in this, of course, and his spirit in developing these within you. But for now, let's get into the list. So what should we supplement our faith with? 
What should we supplement? What should we be actively adding to uh, our foundation of faith so that we can grow in our walk and our relationship with the Lord? Well, the first one he gives to us here is the word virtue. Virtue. Virtue means, and I hope, I hope you have some way of taking some notes today, or maybe just really good at remembering these things in your head, and that, that's great. Um, these are, I want to describe each of these for us so that we have a pathway, we have a direction to head in, okay? So here he says virtue. What does virtue mean? Virtue means moral excellence. Moral excellence. It means a character of goodness, a person of good character. It is somebody who lives an honorable life. At his core, this is what it means. A life that is worthy of praise. A life that is worthy of praise. To Peter, this is essential, and this is why he starts off with. Because at the foundation of everything, we must be a people that desire to live a life that is worthy of praise. Not to ourselves, but a life that points others to Jesus Christ, that brings praise to him. And so he gives us this way that we can be an example that magnifies Christ and brings praise to him. You know, often in professional sports, you maybe hear about this, um, uh, maybe a professional athlete you know, does something uh, that really tarnishes their reputation. And there's no shortage of examples that are out there. I won't, I won't go into a bunch of them. But oftentimes, even sometimes people that I've looked up to, I've admired, maybe they've been a hero of mine or a role model, they do something really stupid or really sinful or really illegal. And then you hear about it, and oftentimes what comes along with that? There comes a suspension, typically, right? Sometimes for a whole season, in some cases even more than that. And so there's a suspension, and, and, and why is that? Often because they did, they did not live up to, they'll say this, they did not live up to the role that they have as a role model for other people. They didn't live up to where they, their life is no longer worthy of looking up to as someone that I should exemplify or pursue after because of their actions, how much more then should we as believers today live a life that is respectful or a, a life that represents our Lord in the right way? A life that has a virtuous testimony, not only within our church family, but to unsaved family and to friends and coworkers. Listen, you guys understand this, but all around us, moral perverseness, moral perverseness is promoted and it is celebrated in our society. And as Christians, we must be a clear alternative to that a clear difference to what the world puts out, and the option is, is that we are virtuous, meaning there is a moral excellence to the way that we live our lives. I won't uh, take the time to read to you all of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You can maybe just write this down. Uh, but this passage here, these seven verses, talks about how we ought to walk and to please God so we would abound more and more. It says this, for this is the will of God. What is the will of God? Even your sanctification. Even your sanctification that you would abstain from fornication, that, that sexual sin of any kind. And every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lust, as, the, as those that do not know God. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Because God has not called us unto uncleanness, but God has called us unto holiness. See, it is the will of God that we add to our faith and grow in the character of Christ and that we model virtue, that we model virtue, that there is a excellence about us. There is a life that is worthy of giving praise to God. That's the foundation here. That's the first one. He says, listen, this is the first thing. Because to me, this is, a, this is a mindset, isn't it? It's a mindset. I want my life to bring glory to God. That's, that's a shift in the way that most of us think. I want my life to bring glory to God. I want to have a life of virtue, of excellence. You know, that'll really change some of the decisions that you make, won't it? It'll change the way you look at life. It changes the way you handle normal day-to-day -day routines because you're like, I want my life to make a difference 
for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God's will that we add virtue. But secondly, he says, you need to add knowledge. You need to add knowledge. Now, Peter's already spoken about our knowledge of God that leads to salvation. We understand that. So he's not just being repetitive here because obviously you're not going to add virtue if you're not saved already from the knowledge of God. So this is a different kind of knowledge. In in essence, it's a complete knowledge or it is a greater understanding of God. It is something different. It is a call for us to truly know God. So the question is, how do I know God? Not how do I know about God, right? Some of you know a lot about God, but what is it like to know God? What is it like to truly know who he is. See, so often in the Christian life, we live a bit of, in a bit of a vacuum in the sense that we know about God, but we're in essence ignorant to who God truly is. In fact, ignorance of who God is, is a character trait of our old life. Peter talked about this in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 14, where he says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. So a character trait of ignorance is that you pursue a worldly pursuit. You don't truly know God. There's an ignorance there. But if we are going to thrive and finish this life well, then we must have a knowledge of God, genuinely know him. You say, how is that possible? What's the difference? Maybe you're struggling with the difference. There's a great book called Knowing God uh, by a guy named J.I. Packer, a fantastic book. And while I don't recommend all of it, there's a lot of really great thoughts in there. But there are four points in this book that he talks about and, and thoughts about a person who truly knows God. I just want to highlight these for you real quickly. I think they'll be a help. Number one, those who know God have a great energy for God. Those who truly know God, they have an energy for him, meaning there's a real pursuit of him. You, you have an energy. Uh, <laughs> some of you know what it's like. You're like, it is all I can do to open my Bible and read it. And then there's other seasons of life where you're like, I can't wait to get into the Word. And you spend extra time in the Word, and you're like, okay, A person who truly knows God, there's a unique energy. Secondly, he says that those who know God have great thoughts of God. You're you're constantly thinking about him. You understand his holiness and his grace and his his perfection, and you know uh, you have great thoughts of him as well. Those who know God show great boldness for God, meaning you're willing to stand up. You're willing to uh, give testimony to, uh, to his grace and to his work in your life. And then fourthly, those who know God have a great contentment in God, meaning Jesus is all that you need. He is everything to you. What is he saying? He's saying here that if you truly know God, if you know his character, if you know his grace, if you know his will, it will be evident in your life. And the way that is evident is that there is a change in your life. There is a uniqueness. There's something that is different. You know, some of you know what this is like to onboard for a new job. But if you remember, if you've ever had to get a new job and, and they say, okay, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to onboard you, or maybe you've got some classes you have to take before you start the job, and there's all this information that is coming in, and you're learning the ins and the outs, you're learning you know, where things are, where you can go, where you can't go, and you're understanding it. Why? Why do they give you all that information? Why do you watch hours of, of presentations and videos and training? Why? Because they want you to know what you need to know so you can do your job well, Correct. Now, in the same way, in the Christian life, we need to know God so that we can live the Christian life well, so we can do our very best in that way. And so we need to saturate ourselves in the knowledge of God. How do we do that? I think you know the answer. It's right here. It's the word of God. It's in knowing his word, both personally and corporately. I don't know if you knew this, but God's gift to you in the journey of the Christian life is the local church. I don't know if you knew that. I I hope you knew it. I hope you know it now. It is. The local church is a gift. 
It is something that we should give ourselves to because it is a place that we can grow in our knowledge of God. We can see God at work in other people's lives and we can see God at work in our lives as well. And so that is knowledge. But we also should add to our knowledge self-control. Here we have it as temperance, but it's self-control. I can't help but think of Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28 that says, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. A person that has no control over their own life is somebody who is basically open to attack. You're open to attack. There are no walls. There's not those normal things that would protect you. And so Peter is saying that uh, you need to add to your faith. You need to supplement your faith with some self-control. And so what he's saying here is you need to learn to control yourself. Sometimes as parents, we say that to our kids, right? Control yourself! <laughs> While we're obviously trying to control ourselves, right, at the same time. Just control yourself, you know? Okay. We need to learn to control those fleshly passions. You need to learn to control and to discipline yourself. To point yourself towards those things that are right, that are pure, that are lovely, as Scripture tells us. You know, in our midweek series right now, we started a series on spiritual disciplines. Just had our first kind of overview lesson this last Wednesday. And that's what this seri- that series is all about, this idea of, con- of self-control, of disciplining ourselves into spiritual practices so that we put ourselves where God is at work and where God is moving. And so we need, we need to do that. And I encourage you to come out for those midweek, midweek uh, lessons and really learn from that. How to put yourself in that position and discipline yourself. What this reminds us of is that while we serve a God that is in control, he has also given to us an area of responsibility. And we have a responsibility for our actions and for our decisions. We do have control. Too often Christians fall into the trap of the enemy where they just, excuse your, they just excuse their sin away by saying this, well, that's just how I am. I've literally had people say to me and justify their sin by saying, God created me like this. <laughs> God created me to do these sins. <laughs> I want to remind you that in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There's a change that happens in us because of our salvation. And so we need to bring our flesh under subjection. As, as Hebrews teaches us, we serve a God, and we have a God that lives within us that has all things under subjection and all things under his control, and he desires for his followers to do the same thing. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, but I keep, my, uh, keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means what I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. What is he saying here? He's saying, listen, I've got to control my, I've got to be in control. I've got to bring those things under subjection. I have to let the new man live and the old man die in my life. I need to be in control so that, so that I can preach the gospel, I can tell others, and my own life would, would not be just cast away. What he's trying to say is like, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be a hypocrite. And so I'm going to bring these things under control. Let me ask you, what in your life is out of control right now? What aspects of your thought life are completely out of control? Nobody knows it because it's in your, it's in your head, but it is out of control. What actions, what, what decisions have you been making recently that are out of the control of, of, they're just completely controlled by your flesh, they're not controlled by the spirit. We are to walk in the spirit. Why? So we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh, as scripture says. But there's an element of you and I getting disciplined in our thoughts, getting disciplined in our actions and saying, no, 
resisting sin, begging the power of the Spirit in our life. You know, all that we need to know how to defeat temptation is here as well. I know I keep doing that. I keep lifting it up. It's a, it's a great book. You should read it. You should read it sometimes. This is really important. And it can teach you how to have self-control, how to be disciplined in these areas. And this is a supplement to our faith. This is an evidence of our faith that we are people that are going to say, no, I'm done with that sin. I'm done with that thought process. I'm done with that. I'm not going to live in bondage to that any longer. God has given me the power to overcome that. And it's through, one of the ways is through self-control. So Peter says, add to knowledge, self-control. But he also says, patience. Patience. Notice there in in verse number six, to uh, knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience. Self-control to patience. This is not just like patiently waiting in a uh, you know, medical office. Look at me, I did great waiting for the dentist. <laughs> you know? I did not squirm. <laughs> you know? No, that's not what we're talking about. This is an enduring continuance. This is a perseverance. Uh, the word that it is based off of, the root word in the original languages, gives us the idea of bearing trials and a fortitude and a strength in adversity. Uh, there's a great example of this that I read about this week of, of a, a young lady by the name of Marie Durant. She was a young woman. She was just 18 years old growing up in, uh, in, uh, uh, in France. And uh, a long time ago, I think I put her, yeah, I put her uh, years of life, uh, 1711 to 1776. And uh, she was someone who at the age of 18 was charged with being and called a Huguenot, which is basically a French Protestant. Of course, uh, that was against the law at that point. And even though her uh, mother and her father and her brother had all been imprisoned until their death, even at the young age of 18, she still would not recant her faith. And so she, along with 30 other younger women, uh, she was the youngest, but 30 other women were placed into a prison, get this, for 38 years. For 38 years, she was in prison. She entered this prison as a young 18-year-old, bright, attractive, uh, marriable, (laughs) I think that's the word, and she did not leave in that same way. But the reason that she did not recant her faith and walk away from what she believed is because she was somebody who was, uh, had fortitude and she had strength and she persevered. What's interesting is if you go there today, you can find the place where she was in prison and scratched into the wall. We don't know that if it was she who did it or others that did it, but was in, uh, scratched into the wall was the word resist or the word continue was scratched into the wall. And that was something that I am sure she looked at many, many times. Now, this is somebody who shows real perseverance. 38 years in prison, the prime years of her life because she wanted to give God her complete allegiance and her faith. I wonder, would you and I persevere for 38 years in prison if all we had to do was say, ah, yeah, I don't believe in Jesus anymore and have our fingers crossed behind our back, right? Would you and I be willing to spend 38 years for our faith? Now, to to us, you say, well, that seems kind of extreme, pastor, but isn't it interesting how sometimes we're not even willing or able to go through a season of difficulty and remain faithful to our calling, How often in life do we go through trials, which we know trials and burdens and difficulties will come. We know that. Somebody at work says, you're a Christian, and they don't invite you out anymore. And our faith is shattered. (laughs) And we're like, I don't know if I want to live the Christian life anymore because I've been through this. I don't know if I want to do it anymore. This is somebody who, who gave, I mean, the prime years of her life 
prime years of her life in order to remain faithful and to persevere. I understand there are times and seasons of life where it feels like all is lost and sometimes you wonder, what is the point of all this? I get it. But he's saying here, be patient, endure, continue. Like Paul's challenge to a young Timothy when he was beginning his ministry, he said, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That means endure, continue, persevere. As we grow closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ, we as believers, as the world more and more turns against us, we must be willing to endure. We must be willing to persevere. It is an essential element of somebody that is growing in their faith that they're able to stand up against the attacks of those around us, against persecution, that can stand up truly and say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and that's okay if everybody else doesn't like me. I'm still going to follow after him. Even if my family members turn on me, even if, uh, even if my friends maybe don't uh, want to hang out with me as much and spend as much time with me, it doesn't matter. I'm still going to follow Jesus Christ and I'm going to declare him as Lord. Even if it seems like I'm all alone sometimes because of that stand, I'm still going to pursue and I'm still going to follow after Jesus Christ. I'm going to have patience. I'm going to persevere. This is something that is a growth out of our faith. Notice as well, godliness, godliness. The word here means literally to be devout, to be committed. It is to have the right posture, the right respect towards our God. It means that you are endeavoring to live in the image of Christ. You are devout in your faith. It also carries the idea, uh, like virtue, of conducting ourselves in a way that is well-pleasing to God, in a way that point others to him, not to ourselves or to somebody else. This kind of person, a person that is living godly, is someone who is above Above all of the petty things of life, the passions and the pressures that uh, want to control us on every side, and we live above it because we're living for the will of God and we're not living for our own will. We're living for uh, the will of God and for the welfare of others. I think sometimes we believe that being godly is an impractical thing, but I want to tell you it is intensely practical because a godly person A person that is walking in the spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh is someone who's going to make decisions that are right and are noble and are virtuous. This is the kind of person that does not uh, take an easy path to avoid pain or trial, but it's somebody that does right because it is right. And I got to tell you, we need more people in this world and in politics and in positions of, of, of authority and leadership who do what's right because it is right, not because it's easy. Now, Jesus, of course, we know is our ultimate example of this characteristic. And when we study his life, we understand what Titus chapter 2, verse 12 teaches us that teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. What am I trying to say? It's possible. It's possible for you and I to live in a godly way to become more like Jesus. First John talks a lot about that in chapter four. And the more that we pursue him, the more godly we become. We will never be God, okay? So don't, if your hopes are getting up, don't get those hopes up. You're never going to be God, but we can be more like him and more in his image. And one of those ways, really two of those ways that we are godly are reflected in these final two thoughts here that we have from him. Brotherly kindness. I'm gonna try to, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to pick up the speed a little bit here, okay? So stay with me. There's two that are interesting here. There's brotherly kindness, and then there's love. I'm, I'm going to put those down here. Brotherly kindness and charity or love. Let's, let's see if we can put them together. First of all, uh, there are two different words that we see in Scripture for love. There's actually, well, there's three that we see in Scripture for love, Greek words that are used for love. Here we see two of them. The first one is translated for us brotherly kindness, which is Philadelphia. 
And uh, you've probably heard that word before. Uh, you've heard of the city of brotherly love. Have you heard of that? Philadelphia, I guess, in the U.S. Uh, that's what it means. And it's, it's a familial type of love. It's a love of brothers. It's a love of family between uh, a, a child of God and, and, and between another child of God. And there's this familial sense. There's a, uh, there's a family kind of love that goes beyond our genetics. Now, the connecting dot of that is, of course, um, the fact that uh, we are children of God. Okay, So that's the connection there that we have. And then we see him, uh, the word translated charity is love, is a different love in scripture, which is a Greek word, agape. Agape. So we have Philadelphia and we have agape. Now agape is very different than Philadelphia. Or phileo is another way of putting it. It's very different because agape is a special, unique, sacrificial love. It's a love that knows no limits and it has no conditions. Truthfully, One of the best ways that we can define agape is to simply say that God is agape. God is agape. It is the highest expression of love and the ultimate mark of a follower of Jesus Christ. In 1 John 4, verse 16, it says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. Even unbelievers know that verse. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. That's that word agape that we see. So not only are we to have brotherly love for each other within the body of Christ, but we're also to have this sacrificial love. Now, this is the love that we are to be recognized by. Whenever scripture talks about Christians and they're like, hey, as a Christian, you should be known uh, by your love. What he's talking about is this kind of love, this kind of sacrificial love, this different love, this this love that is that is uh, transformational, because this is the kind of love that God extended to lost sinners, isn't it? God extended this agape love, this sacrificial love. It's the love that's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the love that the Holy Spirit promotes in our hearts as we walk in the Spirit, as Romans 5 and Galatians 5 teaches us. See, when you have brotherly love, we love because there's a, uh, there's a connection, right? It's our walk with God. But when you love with agape love, you love in spite of differences, because of differences. Just as our Savior loved us, when you are unworthy of his love. We are not worthy of God's love. That's why we proclaim so loudly that we are thankful and we are grateful for his grace because it is undeserved. And God has extended that towards us. Now, as we come to the end of these characteristics, we need to understand a a very important point. And that is this. In our fallen nature, you are not able to manufacture these qualities. You're not able to just manufacture them in your life. They can only be produced by the Spirit of God at work in a person's life. Now, some of you are arguing with me right now. And right now, what you're saying is, is you're like, no, 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 no. I know some people, and they have a lot of self-control. <laughs> they have a lot of self-control, and, and, uh, and they, uh, they, they have patience. I know some unbelievers, and they have self-control, and they have patience. And certainly, there are people that have those characteristics. But what does that characteristic point to? It points to them, doesn't it? It points to them. It points to uh, their own like self-will and determination. But if something is going to be lasting and continuing, it's going to have to come from that Holy Spirit of God that is at work within you. And the reason for that is that because then those character traits point others to Christ and not to ourselves. That's the whole point of this. Peter is saying that these are things that are supplementing your faith for the purpose of bringing glory to God. And God is the one who can produce the characteristic in you. Because I know if you're like me, I look at this list and I'm like, man, I can't can't do that on my own. 
There's no way that I can do this. And you're right. You need God. You need the Holy Spirit of God at work in your life. That way all glory goes to him. I love Philippians chapter 2. That says, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, he says this, work out your own salvation. That is the idea of grow your salvation to maturity. Let there be some evidence in your life of your salvation. And he says to do it with fear and with trembling, for it is God which worketh in you. Think about that. It is God that is doing that work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So here's, here's the whole point of this. The way we build these characteristics in our life is by allowing God to do the work in us. Allow God to do the work in you because he is the one who works out his will, who works out his character in you. These these character traits, these attributes that we're covering here are simply guidelines for us to pursue. They are evidences that we have a faith that is growing. Evidences that we have a faith that is growing and they are vital to your walk with God. I want you to notice real quickly here as we wrap up verse eight. He says, for if these things be in you, so all of these things that he talked about, if they be in you and abound, so if they're in you and they're abounding and you're growing in these areas, notice, they make you, they shall neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is what? Say it with me, blind. So if you don't have these things, you're, you're blind and you cannot see afar off and have forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Peter here gives us something really interesting. He says, this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is how you're going to be growing. Uh, This is how your faith is maturing. But then he gives us the alternative. He says, this is what is possible if it happens, and this is what is possible if it doesn't happen. He kind of gives us the negative and the positive. Notice there's three characteristics there in a person that's not growing. First of all, he says that you'll be barren. You'll be idle, meaning you're not, there's not going to be any work out of your life. There's not going to be any labor towards the things of God. Second of all, he says, you would be unfruitful, meaning that your small knowledge of God would not produce fruit in your life and it would not encourage others to grow in their walk either. And then thirdly, he says, you are blind, meaning you're lacking spiritual insight. Notice how he says, you can't see afar off meaning you're spiritually nearsighted. Now that one I totally understand because I'm nearsighted. And, uh, and, and so often in life, right, we, we try to see ahead and we're just like, where is God, where is God? And so what do we do? We become very, very short-sighted, don't we? We become very focused on what we're going through right now. The, the kind of challenges that we're in, the, uh, the difficulties we're facing, we don't see the big picture because we're not seeing this, this fruit abound in our life. Now, what's behind all of this? Verse 10 and 11. He says, Brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm going I'm to try to wrap this up really quickly. Behind the lack of spiritual development is a poor memory. It's forgetting what God has done for you through Christ. That's what's behind all of this. That is why for the second time, he says, be diligent. You see that? Give diligence. And what should you be given diligence to? That you're saved. That you know the Lord. 
Peter, of course, knows that the Christian doesn't save themselves, the Christian does not keep themselves saved, but it is our responsibility to supplement and to develop this area of our faith. Why is this important? Well, because our genuine salvation is what assures us an entrance into the kingdom of God, what assures us an entrance into heaven. And so he says, listen, the reason maybe you're not seeing these things develop is because maybe you're not saved. Now that's a hard thing to think about. It's a hard thing to consider. Is my faith, is my salvation genuine? Is it real? But that's what Paul's saying here. He says, be sure, make sure that you know. Make sure that you know because the Christian life begins with faith and that true faith must lead and does lead to spiritual growth unless it's a dead faith. You know, James, he talks about dead faith, doesn't he? Faith without works is what? Dead. Meaning that there is a connection between our faith and the outflow of growth and the outflow of development that comes from a growing, developing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the warning to us as believers today and those that say, hey, I claim the name of Christ, as we said at the beginning of the message, yeah, I'm saved, I know I'm saved. Is there evidence of that salvation in your life? Or is it something that you're just trying to do on your own and you're working very hard at it, but it feels empty? It feels like ah, it's, it's, not, it's not genuine. It's not genuine. You may need to examine your heart and see how is your faith? How is your faith? For those of you that know Christ, I gotta ask us, are you diligent in supplementing your faith? Are you strengthening it? Or are you like, well, I come to church once a week and pastor, every time you preach, I, you know, I learn something and I'm good to go. This is beyond the church building. This is personal. This is your walk with God. Are you supplementing? Are you adding? Are you strengthening your faith? Or is it the last thing you think about? You think about it when you're on your way to church. <laughs> I wonder what we're going to hear about today. This is a lifestyle. This is a, a focus. And Peter here gives us some clarity. And it would be wise for us to listen and to apply his instructions this morning. As those that truly desire, and I know many of you, you say, Pastor, I want to grow in my faith. I want to, I want to develop. I want to know the Lord. Then it would be wise for us to listen and to heed what he's given us today. We hope that you were encouraged by the message today, and we would love to hear how God has worked in your life. If you'd like to take the time to visit our website and send us a message through the contact page, we would really appreciate it. Have a blessed day.